Welcome to the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast, your weekly dose of accounting and tax tips specific to small business owners. You will be on your way to growing your business and paying the least amount in taxes as legally possible. Here's your host, Mike Jezoshek, CPA. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we are doing our Q&A session. So we do these just about every other month where we have listeners submit questions that they want answered, and we answer them live. And this is one of those shows. So if you have questions that you would like us to touch on in a specific episode, you can submit your questions to us. Go to taxsavingspodcast.com, click podcast on top, and then scroll down, and there's going to be an area where you can submit your question. You never know. Your question might be on one of our next Q&A sessions. So again, we do these every uh, just about every other month, and these are Q&A sessions. We answer listener questions that were submitted to us. So let's dive in. The first question that we have is from Marcy, and they say, I've heard you talk about the Augusta Rule on your podcast several times. I have a general understanding of what it is and why it came about. My question is, if I can use Section 280, which is the Augusta Rule, for the following. I have a real estate meetup in my home about every six to eight weeks. The goal is to help those who want to get into real estate or are just starting in real estate to learn from my experience and to meet others who are in a similar situation as they are. Secondary goal is to find financial and equity partners to work with on future projects. My business is a partnership LLC with my husband. Would the above qualify for the Augusta rule? And I would say, Marcy, absolutely. With a couple caveats, assuming that you're in the business of real estate. So remember, with any business deduction we take, the deduction has to be ordinary and necessary. So if you are not into the business of real estate, hosting a mastermind about real estate doesn't really make sense. But if you're somewhere in that real estate and somewhere in that realm, this is a no-brainer. Absolutely, this would qualify for the Augusta rule. This is like a mastermind, a training that you're putting on. And I see no reason why Augusta rule would not be a perfect fit for this. Now, for those of you wondering what the Augusta rule, again, this is the idea of where you can rent out your home for 14 days or less throughout the year, and you don't have to pay income taxes on that rental. And how this came about is traditionally you have a Super Bowl or a golf event where you have a lot of people coming in. You're going to rent out your home for them for a week long. Maybe you make $5,000, $10,000 by renting out your home for a week for a major event that's coming to your town. In that situation, if your total rental days of your house is 14 days or less, you pay no income taxes on that. So we kind of flip the switch and think about, okay, for a business, how could we rent out our home to our business for events like Marcy is talking about where we're hosting a mastermind at our house. We're hosting clients over to discuss business, do some type of training. How can we rent our house to our business, get a business deduction, and pay no income tax on that money received? That's this idea of the Augusta rule. So Marcy, absolutely think that would qualify for the Augusta rule. Again, a few things on that. With the Augusta rule, we want to make sure we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's. So just make sure you have the documentation to support it and everything makes sense. Remember, we need agreements in place, rental agreements. We need a fair rental value. So, you know, what are you paying for that daily rental of your house? And, you know, what do we have to support that and back up? But that's a fair rate. Do we have documentation of the type of event, who attended, everything like that? So make sure we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's. But overall, this concept of hosting a mastermind, hosting a training at your house for your business, absolutely would qualify for the Augusta rule. 
The next question we have is related to uh, loans for small business owners. And this question is from Stacy. And they said, I hear a lot of feedback about the government using taxes as an incentive to encourage business owners to do what they want. This makes sense. But why do banks penalize this by using tax returns only when the business owner has a good plan in action to use these deductions and credits properly? Getting a cash out refi or new mortgage is much more difficult, if not impossible, or you maybe pay a higher interest rate when you strategize well and are still a small guy. It seems the government does not offer incentives to banks or loan providers to work within these scenarios. It's something that seems to disconnect so heavily. So we'd love to hear if you have thoughts about this. Yes, Stacey. And, and I think, you know, the root of this question is, is as a business owner, we want to take advantage of the tax law that's written the way it was. And we want to take dot auctions that are valid to us. These include things like home office, maybe a reimbursement for personal use or mileage of your personal vehicle, maximizing deductions, hiring our kids in our business, doing all these fun tax strategies that ultimately those tax strategies reduce our income, which in turn reduces our taxes. And so there is a big disconnect. There's a lot of banks that just do not understand business. And what that means is that they don't understand that the home office deduction, as an example, that's an expense that you're going to have whether you're a business owner or not. So that really, when you're talking about from a loan standpoint, should not necessarily be taken into consideration as an expense to the business for loan purposes. And so there's a lot of banks out there that do what they call addbacks. They'll take your profit the way it's reported on your tax return, and they'll add back items to that profit to increase the profit for things that that you're using for tax advantages. And so what I would say, Stacey, is that there's a lot of bankers, again, out there that just do not understand this concept of maximizing deductions and, and everything else when it comes to taxes. So if you go to a bank that you're really kind of struggling with this idea from, and they're just fighting back saying, we can't do anything, we can't do anything, I would say try another bank. Try to find a bank that is business friendly and understands what you're doing and understands the deductions that you're validly taking. But also, you know, if you didn't have that business might still, you might, you're still going to have those costs. So I would say just a couple things. One, if you're struggling with a banker, struggling with someone that's hard to lend money from based on the situation, try going to another banker, try to kind of vet out a banker that understands business. And I would also say that sometimes in certain situations, you might have to bite the bullet sometimes. You might have to bite the bullet in a specific year and not take some of the deductions that might be readily available to you if the higher priority is to get a loan. Now, I would say don't go down that route until you've known you've talked to a banker that is business friendly and there's still not potential there. So just some thoughts there. And yeah, I completely agree with you that there is some disconnect there. We have a question from Curtis. And he said, I travel back and forth to work locations for my company. I'm a sole employee LLC. I might work in the office one day, travel 30 minutes one day, and I might travel six hours the next day, all in my car. On these long drives, I'm forced to buy lunch. At what point can I write off a meal expense for non-overnight travel, if at all? And so that's the thing. When we talk about meals and meals alone, when you're traveling, you get a deduction those meal expenses, even if you're alone, no employees, no clients, things like that. But in order to be in travel status, it has to be something that would require an overnight stay. And so in this situation, if you're traveling three hours one way, three hours back, not necessarily an overnight required, or you don't not taking an overnight meal expense would not qualify. Now, the question was, at what point can I write off meal expenses for non-overnight travel? And I would say, if you're 
meeting with a client at that meal, if you're meeting with an employee at that meal, if you're meeting, having a business meeting at that meal, absolutely would qualify. Having that meeting alone, unfortunately, it's not going to qualify. But if you're having a business meeting with somebody else that is there, that's when you would qualify. That's when you would be able to write off that meal expense. Now, of course, the mileage in, in those items, those are all deductible. It's just that meal piece that, that you would have to kind of meet those specifications for it to qualify. We have another question from Curtis, and he said, I'm a sole member LLC. When I file my personal return and pay taxes, I write the IRS and state checks from my business account. What QuickBooks entry should I use? And he said, note, I don't pay quarterly taxes at this time because my wife takes extra taxes out of her paycheck. So for this, you would just use an owner's draw. Remember, an LLC is considered a flow-through entity. An S-corporation is considered a flow-through entity. So you don't pay federal or state taxes on that income at the business level. That's a personal tax. So that income from that business flows through to you personally, which is where it then creates a tax liability at the personal level. So technically, should you be writing these checks to the IRS or state from your personal account? Technically, yes. Now, I have no problem doing them from the business account. But the key thing is it's got to be considered an owner's draw, an owner's distribution. It's not considered a business expense at all when you're paying your personal income taxes from it. So what QuickBooks entry would you use? Owner's draw, owner's distribution, something that would be on the balance sheet that's not going to be an expense to the business. We have a question from Greg, and, and he said, I really enjoy your podcast. First off, Greg, thanks for listening. Really enjoy you submitting these questions. I love to do these Q&A sessions because it gives us time to answer some of the questions that, that we might not answer, might not be able to do a full podcast episode about. And I would say for Greg and anyone else that enjoys what we're doing here on the podcast, please leave a review on wherever you listen to us. Let us know how we're doing. When you leave reviews for us, it allows us to get access to more business owners and help more people like you on this journey. So if you're listening to this, you enjoy what we're doing. I just say, please just leave a review on wherever you may listen to us. So but Gary says, I know you discuss this issue a lot. However, one piece of it I haven't heard is regarding IRS reporting. In 2022, I paid each of my four kids roughly $10,000 for work they did in my business. Should I have issued them each a W-2? In 2023, I plan to pay them similar amounts, but I'm filing as an S corporation and will pay my family management company and have it pay each of them. The same question goes, does the family management company need to issue each one of them a W-2 for 2023. And I want to say, Greg, first off, congratulations. Way to use this strategy the way it is. It sounds like you're dotting your I's, crossing your T's. You're paying them a rate that's reasonable. They're doing actual work in your business. Love, love, love this strategy of hiring your kids. And if you have kids out there, you've been listening to the podcast and you're not hiring them in your business yet, check out our episode on that. I think it's one of my favorite strategies to implement. I see so many small business owners miss out on this. So Greg, first off, I'm assuming that your children are under the age of 18. And so, you know, when we pay our children under the age of 18, we are considered, we're paying them as employees of our business, whether it's in a, a single member LLC, a sole proprietorship, that we don't have to withhold FICA taxes, no federal withholding, uh, no federal unemployment, anything like that, because you're direct dependents. If we're paying them out of S Corporation, we do have to do FICA. You mentioned the family management company. Great idea. So the real question comes down to when I hire my kids under the age of 18, do I have to issue them a W-2? And the technical answer is yes. You would have to issue them a W-2. Now, that W-2 wouldn't have much activity from it, especially if you're paying them out of a sole proprietorship or a single member LLC, because you're going to have wages in box one. 
There's going to be no federal withholding unless they were over the standard deduction amount or had income over that amount. There's going to be nothing in Social Security, nothing in Medicare. So you're really going to only have one box that you're filling on the W-2. It's a very easy form to file. So the technical answer is yes, you would have to file a W-2 for your kids. Now, with that being said, there's a lot of accountants out there. There's a lot of debate around this area. And is it really required? What happens if I don't? And so there is some theories out there that say, hey, if you don't file a W-2, that's fine because the penalty for not filing a W-2 is just based on a percentage of the taxes and there is no taxes. So, you know, doesn't really make sense. So that's what I would say up to you from the technical standpoint, W2 required. Yes. This W2 is also very easy because it's, it's, there's just one box that you're filling out. You can use a software like track 1099.com. They allow you to fill out W2. So it's very easy W2, but again, if you want to take that risk, there are some accounts out there, some beliefs out there that, you know, the penalty on it, isn't much or is zero. So, you know, not filing a W-2 really doesn't do any harm. So hopefully that helps. We have a question from Carlos. Just started listening to your show. Welcome. Really enjoy the show as I'm about to start a business within the month. Here's my question. I remember hearing on one of your previous shows that in order to get the LLC protection, all payments must go through the business bank account. Can I get the same LLC protection if I accept payments through a personal cash app and then deposit through my business bank account? So Carlos, you know, when you're talking about LLC protection, that that really comes down to a legal standpoint. So legally protecting, you know, creating that corporate veil. And so that I would say recommend talking to an attorney about because you're talking about legal protection. But what I can talk about is on the tax side. You know, traditionally, I would say we want to run and have Every income coming into a business bank account, any expenses going out of a business bank account, that creates that clean cleanliness, especially when it comes to a tax standpoint. What I would say is if this app that you're using to collect payments has the ability to set up a business account, I would definitely do that because it creates, it removes that that concern there about business, personal, commingling, things like that. So I would say definitely if they have a business ability to put a business account into that app, definitely do that. The next piece is, is if you can't do that, can you have a separate login that you're just dedicating specifically to business activity through that app? If so, great. Then we can say, okay, here's business, here's personal. The third secondary option is, yeah, if you deposit it, if you run that through your business bank account, is that okay? Yes. You know, I think there it's fine from a tax standpoint. You're not going to run into any issues, but from a legal standpoint, I would definitely recommend just asking an attorney about that. We have a question from Yo, and they said, if I have a single member LLC taxed as an S-corp, what is the best way to take a paycheck, monthly, quarterly, or yearly? And Yo, I would say that's totally up to you. That's the beauty about the flexibility of it. Whether you take a paycheck as an S-corp owner, remember as an S-corp owner, you need to take a reasonable salary. You're required to pay yourself a W-2 payroll that's reasonable. And so the question is, should I do that monthly? Should I do it quarterly? Should I do it annually? What's the best way to do that? And I'd say we see business owners mix and do it all their own way. My recommendation always to just get on a regular cadence, do it monthly. And what I always say too, is if you have a business that fluctuates, maybe your income or your salary is going to change throughout the year. I'd say do kind of a flat salary that you know is going to be going to be there. Maybe it's you know $5,000 a month. Maybe it's $2,000 a month, whatever it is, do a flat salary. And then you can just adjust up and run some off cycle or bonuses at a certain point throughout the year if you need to increase that salary as you get throughout the year. So my recommendation is to just get on a regular cadence of it. If you do it annually, again, 
no problem with that. We see a lot of business owners do that. They'll take owner draws throughout the year. And at the end of the year, they'll run an off-cycle payroll to move a portion of those owner draws into salary, pay the taxes on it, and move on. The only problem with that is that they get hit with that, that bigger kind of payroll tax bill once a year. And so as long as you have the cash ready or available for to pay that tax bill from that payroll that you're going to run annually, then you're totally fine. That's why if you're doing it monthly, you just know kind of the cash flow is, is there and it's it's coming through and out at one time. You don't have to worry about a big bill down in the road. But again, anything is acceptable there. No right or wrong answer. It's just going to come down to some personal preferences. We have a question from Erica. If I have an online teaching business and I want to sell memberships, can I use the same LLC or do I need to create a new one? The membership would consist of online learning, but not through the business I have now. Erica, this is a great question. We have an entire episode on this where we talk about when you have multiple businesses, what is the best way to set that up? I would definitely recommend checking out that episode that we did and blog posts that we have on that. And remember, for all of our episodes, we now have a blog post. If you prefer to read, we have the podcast episode, which is audio, and we also have a video version. You can find that at taxsavingstv.com, taxsavingspodcast.com. Learning Center is going to be our blog post, and then obviously, you're listening to the podcast wherever you hear that. But to go back to your question, from a tax standpoint, absolutely. You can use the same LLC from a tax standpoint. Now, we'll say this one caveat. You know, we want to make sure that the LLCs that we have are all considered what we call operating. So if you have a business LLC, we want to make sure that anything that you're running within that business LLC is, is stuff that you're active in. So we wouldn't mix a business in a rental property in the same LLC. We would have a LLC for that rental property or passive activity, and then we'd have LLC for that business activity. But in that LLC for that business activity, if you want to have multiple different businesses within that LLC, that's totally fine. Again, there's many different setups and how we like to do that, how we can do that. Oftentimes we'll have one main S-Corp with these secondary business being separate LLCs that are solely owned by that S-Corporation. But really kind of just depends on how much volume, how much activity, what type of businesses do you have on, you know, when you'd want to do that setup versus just doing an LLC with a DBA for this new entity. So definitely check out that episode. But yeah, from a tax standpoint, totally fine. We have a question from a member in our free Facebook group. And again, if you're not part of our free Facebook group, go to Facebook now, type in small business tax secrets, answer a few questions and join in and submit your questions there as well. We have a question there that says, can you combine two different types of businesses such as rental properties and a consulting business in one LLC? That's funny. This is the same question or very similar question to Erica. And I'd say, yes, you can have multiple businesses in one LLC. But remember what I just talked about before is we don't want to mix passive activity, rental activity with operating activity, things that we're actively pursuing, active businesses that we're in. So in your situation, free Facebook group member, I would say we want an LLC for passive activity. We want an LLC for operating activity. Now we might have multiple LLCs or secondary LLCs in both sides, but we would never mix a passive and an operating activity into one LLC, if that makes sense. We have a question from Sal. For single-member LLCs that have taken the S-Corp tax election, do you pay quarterly estimated taxes on the business profits after paying yourself payroll with payroll taxes paid? If so, what form on EFTPS.gov is the correct selection for S-Corp quarterly tax payments? I called the IRS two times and was told Form 1120 by one rep, 2220 by the other. They both seemed unsure of their answer last year when I was a single-member LLC without S-Corp election. I just did a 1040 ES, but they seemed to think being an S-Corp, I now need to do it differently. So 
when we have a flow through entity, this is an LLC, this is an S corporation, which means that we pay taxes on all that income at the personal level. When we have a flow through entity, we pay taxes personally from the profit of that business. So would estimated taxes be required? Check out our estimated tax episode to see you know when our estimated tax is required or not. But as far as paying those estimated taxes, if you have a flow through entity and we're paying estimated taxes on the profit of a flow through entity, single member LLC or an S corporation, we're using te- form 1040 ES. So it's always going to be that form 1040 ES, whether it's a single member LLC with no S corp election or whether it's an LLC with an S corp election, we're still, when we're paying those estimated taxes using form 1040 ES. So, Sal, sorry, the IRS kind of gave you the runaround. That's typical. <laughs> they sometimes don't know everything as well. So you sometimes will get different answers, but yes, flow through entity estimated taxes are paid on form 1040 ES. We have another question from one of our free Facebook group members. When you pay estimated taxes for a single member LLC, S-Corp, do you pay under your own social security or business EIN? Again, very similar question to what Sal just asked. You would pay for that under your personal social security number. When you have a flow-through entity, you are taxed on that income from that entity at the personal level. So personal social security number. All right. We have one more question that we want to run through. And then we're going to cut it off for this episode. We have a question from Lorenzo. If I have an LLC with S-Corp status and I set up multiple single-member LLCs under that S-Corp, do I need a new EIN for each LLC or would I use my S-Corp's EIN for each? Lorenzo, if you set up a new LLC, so you have a parent LLC that's an S-Corporation and multiple LLCs that are 100% owned by that parent company. By the way, love the strategy. We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier this episode. We have a full episode, blog post, et cetera, on this topic of when you have multiple businesses, how should you structure that? So definitely check that out. But Lorenzo, if you're creating those separate LLCs, you would need a new EIN for each LLC that you own. Now, everything would flow up and flow into eventually that one S-Corp status and then get reported to you. But if you have separate LLCs, you would want to get an EIN set up for those. So that's going to be it for our Q&A session today. Again, I want to thank people that are submitting these questions. We love, love this Q&A session. We're doing these every two months, at least now. This is something that uh, we've heard from listeners that they absolutely love. So if you want your question answered live on an episode, go to taxsavingspodcast.com, click podcast on top, and then scroll to the bottom. There's a form that you can fill out, and you never know. Your question might be on our next Q&A session. So again, thank you for those that submitted questions. I appreciate you guys reaching out. Thank you for those that are listening. We love you guys. And thank you for listening to another episode. And I will see all of you next week when we continue our our road to paying the least amount of taxes as legally possible. Thank you, everyone. This has been another episode of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast. If you enjoy our weekly episodes, please leave a review and share with other business owners. You can find previous episodes and more information at www.taxsavingspodcast.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.